How you doing? Good. Do you know what the most exciting thing is? It's almost April. And do you know what that means? It's baseball season! Yes! I am the biggest baseball fan. I have been since my dad took me to my first game at eight years old, and there's just nothing like it. It's the teamwork, it's the discipline of practicing over and over and over again the same plays, the same moves, until they're almost unconscious, until you can almost do it in your sleep. The players' bodies get conditioned or acclimated to doing the things they'll need to be doing in the game. They'll be running, they'll be catching, they'll be throwing. No, I'm not gonna throw the ball today, I promise. I'm such a baseball nerd that I was one of the few parents when my son was playing that enjoyed watching practice almost as much as I enjoyed watching a real game. I love everything about it. I love the camp camaraderie. I love the jokes. I love the ribbing. I love the stealing the signs. I love everything about it. One of the few things that I learned, both as a young player myself, which was just a few years ago, thanks for that, and in watching our kids and grandkids play, is when the coach yells, ready position, Everyone on the field immediately gets into the right stance. They're on the balls of their feet, watching intently what's going on at the plate. They are ready to go right or left, wherever the ball comes, they're ready. The ready stance is really important. So good coaches will drill this ready position over and over and over again until when the umpire says play ball, they automatically do it. They just automatically, unconsciously go into the ready position. Being alert means being ready, having the right posture. There's always one kid on the team though. God bless him. You know, it's, it's the one kid who's, whose parents thought it might be a good idea for him to play team sports. <laughs> yeah, but they display no athletic ability whatsoever. They're not bad people. They're just not athletic. They're often, you'll, you'll find them located um, in right field, where there's not much going on. And most of the time, they will not be in the ready position. They'll be looking around, and they'll be looking at their watch, and they'll sometimes even kneel down and play with the grass in the outfield. Sometimes if the coach sees that, he'll yell, hey, are you awake out there? And all the parents will go, oh my gosh. Yeah, God bless, God bless those people. My brother, actually, was one of those people. Um, he had no choice about playing because my dad ran Little League in the town that I grew up in. So it was not an option for him not to play. But he was out there in right field. And he was so not enamored with what was going on at the plate that he would sit down, play with the grass, 
and just take his glove off and put it to the side. <laughs> and if I could just see my dad going, seriously? Really? My brother, he was not ready. He was not at all interested in what was going on at the plate. Not aware that there was even a game going on. He was just in his own little world out there in right field. God bless. So because my mind's a little bit odd, I started thinking about posture in general. Our physical posture. Not when playing baseball, but just in general in our everyday lives. Especially our spiritual posture before the Lord. What does that look like? I think we could all use a little training, a couple of discipline drills, and getting in the ready position for that. So I did a little research on the importance of posture. And according to physiology.com, because you know, I, I just gotta go research online, sustaining good posture is a big part of your health. Hmm. It ensures that your bones are well aligned. It distributes the, this is very interesting, it distributes the tension between your muscles and your ligaments so that you don't get injured. How smart is God to create us that way? More so, the rightful position minimizes exhaustion and stress. So all those drills that those baseball coaches do, it's designed to minimize injuries. It enables muscles to coordinate in efficient manners. It holds the spinal joints in place, which is essential. It prevents back pain and muscle pain. And it decreases the wear and tear on your joints. So posture, which we don't even give a second thought to unless somebody says, how's your posture? And then we all sit up and try to go, okay, right. We don't normally think about it, but it's so important to us. So to summarize, good posture helps alignment, promotes efficiency and balance and correct muscle use. It's essential. When we don't move and use our bodies correctly, we get misalignment and pain and injuries. So our emotional spiritual posture when we encounter Jesus should be pretty similar to that ready position. We should have lifted eyes and lifted heads. We should be sure-footed, and we should be forward-moving. The Old Testament scriptures, the Psalms that Pastor Howard read this morning, they highlight these things. Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads so that the Lord may come in. We need to take our eyes off ourselves, literally and metaphorically, and look for the Lord's coming. Look for what he wants us to do. He would like us to serve and who he would like us to witness to and who he just wants us to come alongside and be a good friend. We can only do this if we're not like my silly brother in the outfield playing with the grass with his glove off. Like there's no chance you can get in the game that way. Psalm 118 verse 5 says that when we are hard-pressed, we cry out to the Lord who is our helper. Verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. 
This psalm, interestingly enough, was sung by the Israelites each year at the time of the Passover. They would make their way, their pilgrimage, in big groups to Jerusalem, and they would sing this psalm almost to the point where they knew the words instinctively. It just came out of them. It was a whole thing about how God had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, even when there seemed to be no way possible that that could happen. It's also forward-looking in the fact that they were looking forward to the time when a king from the line of David would come and rescue them once again. So it's this psalm, so full of meaning, sung at Passover time, which, by the way, on our calendar this year, started Friday night, just so you know. Psalm 118, later on in verse 27, is the fulfillment of the blessing from Numbers 24 that Pastor Howard has been reading as our pastoral blessing at the end of our services recently. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. With bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So just picture those believing Israelites with bows in their hands and singing and marching up to Jerusalem. They're moving forward. They're moving towards the temple, towards the Lord. They're not standing still. They're not distracted. They were alert and watching for the coming of the Lord. The people, again, had sung it so many times. The words were ingrained and almost like they could recite it from memory. The main ideas were clear. God has loved us with a special love. God has made a way when we were desperate and needed him. And God's going to come again and rescue us. Their scriptures instructed them on the ready position to anticipate the Lord's coming. Eyes up, heads up, singing in gratitude as they marched forward towards Jerusalem. We didn't get to read it today, but I encourage you to read 1 Kings chapter 1, starting in verse 38. It's the account of Solomon's coronation when he takes over his father David's throne. The procession is magnificent, and people are shouting, Hosanna! Long live the king! Yay! They're so happy. He was about to take his seat as the king. So with those observations as background, we then come to our New Testament passage for this morning. This Palm Sunday, Donkey Sunday, as I read. Please note the postures of the people and animals in the story. Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back there shortly. 
They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. They untied it. Some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat upon it. Many spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So that's our story for this morning. Jesus deliberately chooses to come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Now you're probably thinking, what? Yes, it's the same announcement that Solomon did. He rode in to take his throne on a donkey as well. Jesus deliberately chooses this humble yet strong animal, both for its posture, for its back is actually flatter and therefore is designed better than a horse's for carrying cargo and people. And its symbolism. This was the coming king who was coming humbly and in peace. If he had ridden in a mighty horse with armor on, that would have signaled he was a king who was coming to go to war. That was not Jesus' message at all. This signal to the people, here's your coming king, your Messiah, that Zechariah 9.9 foretold of. The Lord is going to make a way once again where there was no way. Jesus selecting a donkey that symbolized peace and humility and servanthood rather than riding that big war horse was so important and yet unexpected at the same time. So let's look at the posture. The people bowed in respect to the king, placing their cloaks on the road as a sign of royal welcome. And as they had in 2 Kings, when Jehu was made king of Israel, they placed branches or boughs from the tree down in front of the donkey carrying Jesus. Can you picture it? Such a parade of people and shouting and singing and Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Jesus riding this humble, small donkey. In Zechariah 3, the Messiah was predicted to come, and he's called the branch from the line of Jesse. So interesting that they would wave branches at the branch of David's uh, family. So the posture of Jesus' followers was clear. Their king from the line of David was arriving in Jerusalem. They were celebrating and shouting, Hosanna, blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And by the way, that word Hosanna means save us. They looked at him as their savior. They were looking up, bowing down, and just realizing that their king had they clearly 
expected that Jesus would overthrow the Roman occupation. He was going to take his place on the throne and everything was going to change and be different. See, they expected his kingdom to be an earthly one. But it was and is a larger one, an eternal one. They thought Jesus was walking towards a physical and political throne. Jesus actually knew that he was walking towards Calvary. He knows that the week ahead contains immense suffering. He's going to be betrayed by Judas, denied three times by his best friend Peter. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be abandoned by his friends. And he's going to be unjustly accused, tried, and convicted. He's going to end up carrying his cross up the hill of Calvary to die a terrible and painful death. He knew all of that as the people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We've said that our spiritual posture when we encounter Jesus should be one of lifted head and eyes, sure footing and forward movement. Much like the well-trained baseball players, we need a ready position. The people had two out of three. Their physical posture was looking out and shouting up, shouting and celebrating, and then bowing down. They were moving forward, because I said they were in that parade towards Jerusalem, like they did every year. But what about being sure-footed? Remember what I said about the idea of the ready position. The baseball players are on the balls of their feet because they need to go whatever way the play goes. The Jewish believers' expectations were clear. They thought they knew where the play was. They wanted him to become king. I'm not sure they could have adapted very easily to the unexpected play. When Jesus did not ascend a physical throne, in fact, it says that when he went into the temple, no one was there to greet him. That's unusual. When a royal visit comes, it was typical that they would entertain and there would be a big meal and a banquet and the priests would anoint the head of the king with oil and they would sing. It seems like Jesus entered the temple and no one was there. Where's the play? Jesus was celebrated outside the city, but when he actually got to the temple, his temple, nobody was there. Nobody was happy. Nobody was celebrating. They were actually plotting to kill him behind closed doors. This feels unexpected. Feels a bit uh, confusing, a bit jarring, a bit like, um, something's missing here. It's not how it's supposed to be. For this kind of sure-footed, nimble agility and flexibility, we need to switch our focus, not from the people, but to the donkey. The posture of the donkey. Donkeys have often been called beasts of burden. 
and they're associated almost like bookends with Jesus' birth, because Mary rode a donkey into Bethlehem with Jesus in utero, and here to begin the Passion Week of Jesus' death and resurrection. Donkeys are reliable and steadfast. Donkeys, I don't know if you know this, are physically stronger than horses of the same size. Their backs are flatter, as I mentioned, making them ideal for carrying people or cargo. The way their hooves are constructed makes them more nimble and sure-footed with better balance than horses. Their soles are thicker and well-suited for walking long distances in dry desert climate, regardless of how rocky the terrain is. Donkeys are stable, not easily spooked by loud noises, so the parade of people shouting and screaming Hosanna would not face the donkey at all. They're viewed as gentle companions who are surprisingly affectionate and even protective toward humans or other animals they're around. They also pick up on the emotions of the people that they're around, which I find is fascinating. See, Jesus would have been calm. He knew what was in front of him, but he was still very calm as the crowd was going crazy. The donkey would have been calm. Verses, nine, uh, verses 10 and 11, I'm sorry, say that the whole city, not the Jewish believers, but the other Roman citizens who had not yet heard about or met Jesus, was stirred. The whole city was kind of like, what's going on? And we're asking, who is this? When Jesus did not ascend the earthly throne as his followers had expected him to do, the donkey would have remained calm. When people were putting cloaks and branches and throwing things down in front of him, the donkey would have been sure-footed and moving forward calmly, well-balanced, unflappable. See, the donkey's posture was tied to his job. His job was to carry Jesus wherever he wanted to go. So, you probably know what I'm going to do with the application with this, right? We need to have all three of those postures. We need to look up and watch for Jesus. We need to move forward rather than standing still. And we need to be sure-footed, in the ready position, and nimble enough to be willing to go to the unexpected places, if the unexpected things happen. See, as great as the celebration of the Jerusalem parade was that day, within hours, the people would have gone home, they would have pretty much forgotten about it, gotten back to their regular routines, maybe even picked up grass in the field, and refocused on themselves rather than on Jesus. We know the disciples didn't stick with Jesus. They denied him and fled and hid. I think we all need to be a bit more like the donkey. Steadfast, sturdy, balanced, and nimble in a ready position to take Jesus anywhere he wants to go in our lives. So back to the Christian disciplines. Prayer, 
scripture reading, Bible study with other Christians, serving together in Jesus' name. We practice them over and over and over in the Christian life until they become reflexive, until we can do them unconsciously, until we automatically get into the ready position and look for Jesus. Last week, Pastor Howard told us that Jesus may even want us to love our Samaritan-like neighbor. Yikes. But when we take our eyes off ourselves and assume the postures that Jesus did that week, towel wrapped around his waist, washing his disciples' feet, turning the other cheek in the face of criticism, and praying in the garden, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Then, and only then, will we be in the correct spiritual posture when we encounter Jesus. I'll end our time together with a quote from Russell Moore. He's uh, from uh, the Southern Baptist Convention's ethics leader in a CT article, Christianity Today article. He said this, Following Jesus isn't a matter of taking the correct side of issues or even knowing the right doctrines. It's about walking alongside him, even in the case of Jesus' first disciples, when we can't see what's ahead. It's the end of the quote. See, if we can't see what's ahead, but like the donkey, we know who we're with, we can have the posture that the donkey did, calm and trusting. So, how's your posture? Are you looking up, ready to take Jesus anywhere he wants to go? Are you in a spiritual ready position, ready to adapt to whatever and wherever Jesus wants you to go? Are you ready to say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Let this be our spiritual act of worship as we celebrate Palm Sunday and contemplate Holy Week to come. Amen.